You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to an episode number 42 of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. And joining me, as always, my winger Ricky Squid vibe. Squid, how's life in the falls? Cold today, Michael. <laughs> it's like 40 degrees. Not a good day to play golf or anything. So, uh, uh, but we'll get through this. I mean, uh, we've been having some pretty good weather recently, and I'm sure next week it'll probably be uh, quite a bit better. Fantastic. Well, we've got uh, our guest today is one of the most popular Maple Leafs of all time and a good pal of yours, Dougie Gilmore. Yeah, Dougie, and uh, I can't wait to to do this and and listen to what he has to say about what some of the things that. Brian Sutter had to say about him as a teammate and everything else and the nickname and everything else. But uh, uh, it's going to be quite interesting. But I, I do recall somebody telling me that when he went to St. Louis, that they put him in a defensive role to learn how to play in both ends of the rink because he was already a stellar offensive player. And uh, he did. He became a, a very good 200-foot player. Well, we're going to get in and get into that with him because, you know, Demir's transformed him into that checking role. And today, of course, you know, the, the players have to play like that. Back. But in that era, your era back that way, it was more scoring, outscoring the other guys more as though keeping the puck out of your own net if you had a good goalie. So it was a new role. We'll hear what Dougie has to say about it and where his career would have went. But our Maple Leafs. Yeah, back in, back in my day, Mike, if you won 9-8, that was okay. It was, it was a win. <laughs> Exactly. Well, speaking of winning to 9-8, we have to hand it to Kyle Dubas and Brennan Shannon, who made some knife moves this week to put the Leafs in a position to take a run at the prize. They addressed the three pressing needs, the key being Nick Foligno, who brings leadership, grit, which is going to keep the flies off the stars, as will Simmons and hopefully Roddy Nash. Uh, brings a lot of experience. This is going to allow Keith to dress the best lineup of the year so far. I'm assuming he's going to play with Matthews and Marner to start. That puts Gachanyuk with uh, Tavares and the Islander when he returns. And can we unite that third very impressive line of uh, Engvel, Mike, mm-hmm. Kaev, and Hyman? And then it leaves Simmons, Spezza, and newly acquired Riley Nash with um, options like Robinson and Kerfoot. And looks like Thornton will be the odd man out come playoff times as things sit. Uh, David Rich is a good opportunity, a good option in goal, actually, not only for this year, but going forward because. If it comes down to a decision between Hyman and Anderson, there's going to be a lot of interest in Zach Hyman for sure. And the number is going to start at five. As you know, it has to be Hyman. Uh, Rich is a little, Richie is a little, Reedich is a little cheaper. So that gives them some room, not only now, but down the road. I got some good experience with Ben Hutton. Uh, The other additions appear to be adding more depth. Look, they're trying. They didn't move any significant pieces. Our first round of the Libya 27 to 32nd is not as the media are clamoring being all in on risk. It's good business, period. Management has done their jobs. Now it's on the players. End of story. No excuses. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would have to agree. I, I think Dubas did a heck of a job bringing in things. Like Felino is the key, I think. And uh, him and Riddich, actually, I think, are the two keys to the whole thing because, you know, Anderson is going to be out for a little while. We don't know what he's going to be like when he does come back. But now you got Campbell, you got Riddich, uh, and then you're going to have to leave somebody available for the expansion draft yeah. as well. And 
you know, but Felino, I think, is the big key because he's going to fit in really nicely on left wing on one of those top two lines and uh, fill the void that is needed for someone to go in and play with grit and get that puck and, and get it to those guys. And I think he's been the key. Riddich is going to be a valuable piece, I think, going forward. Um, as you said, when it comes down to it, who are you going to sign? Well, you're not going to give Anderson $5 million plus what he's making now. No. Uh, you can't do it. I mean, he's not probably – and I love Freddie Anderson, but I don't think he's worth five, six, seven million a year uh, in the National Hockey League, whereas Zach Hyman is probably worth five million a year. So uh, I agree with you. And then they got, and then you know, with Nash and 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 Hutton and those guys, they brought in some depth. You know, guys that have been there have played in the National Hockey League and you know performed pretty pretty decent. So you know, I think going down the road, if there's any injuries they're going to have that depth in order to fill in those gaps. Well, and it keeps everybody on their toes too, because as the games get more tense, so does the intensity of hitting and body yeah. crashing and all that stuff that goes with winning a playoff hockey game. So you can never have enough depth. And they seems to have given him a position now that he's got a lot of players to choose from. So as I said, the excuses are over. They've got the team in place. It's probably the strongest team they've had in a number of years. And it's up to the players. Go get them. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they've got to go out and do the job. I think that's the, the bottom line. Uh, everything is in place. Uh, you know, Sheldon Keith, Keith has done a great job putting everything together uh, on the ice, Kyle off the ice, getting getting the assets and everything. And, they, and like you said, they didn't give up much. You know, they didn't give up a whole lot. They gave up a first-round pick, you know, which is – but that's going to be a high first-round pick. And, and – and not a very low one. Um, so now it's like, okay, guys, you know, we went out and we got you the pieces that you need to win. Now you need to go out and do your job. And, and I think that's got to be the message, pure and simple. Now it's time for you to go and do your job and get the job done. Well, we got a dozen or so games to go before we see all this take, take place. So we're filming this or recording this and filming this on the Thursday Leafs play tonight, minus uh, Austin Matthews. So we'll see how life is for them tonight next time we speak. But I would be remiss uh, mentioning that on this uh, day of April 17th, 1951, squid, Tent Kennedy, scored, or Teeter Kennedy, as he's better known, scored the winning goal at 4.47 of overtime to give the Leafs a 2-1 win over Montreal in Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final in 51. This, of course, was two games before Barocco's heroics four nights later. And oh. the 17th anniversary of that goal is this week. And all five of those games went in OT, so you're going to hear all kinds of stuff about that goal as we get further <laughs> on in the week. Also on this day in 2006, a kid by the name out of Pittsburgh who's 18 years old by the name of Sidney Crosby had three assists. And he was the become get 100 points, become the youngest player ever to do that in a season, the 6-1 win over the New York Islanders. And he's still playing. And he's still going pretty darn strong, too. I mean, he's a heck of a player. And uh, uh, no question that he's destined for the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, with the Stanley Cups, uh, trophies that he's won uh, individually and uh, the amount of times he's won the scoring championship. Just a great, great, great player. Absolutely. And he's still, and by the way, don't look now, but he's only a couple <laughs> points behind Marner and Matthews and his scoring rate. So... Uh, and to think, you know, the other thing to think about is that 
that was after the lockout, and it was a full lottery for the whole league. And yeah. Pittsburgh lucked out getting that first pick. So, you know, it, it, if it had gone somewhere else, somebody else would have got Sidney Crosby. So they, they got pretty lucky that year. Well, you know, the old conspiracy theories always like to think that um, it's funny how Pittsburgh is in bad, bad financial trouble, ready to fold, maybe to move. And all of a sudden, luck of the draw, they win Sidney Crosby. Same as Edmonton, which looked where, like it was on its way out. No, miraculously, they go from five or six pick to win Connor McDavid. And lo and behold, an NHL lockout again. Where do you want the biggest focus and the biggest market in the in probably sports, New York? Guess who wins first pick overall? And then Alex Lafreniere, the New York Rangers. Jeez, it's funny how the balls drop in all these very coincidental situations yeah. just to help hockey move along a little bit. But... That's for another day to, to deal with all of that. So I think at this point, Squid, we'll move on and listen to see what old Dougie has to say. Okay, Squid, our guest today was a seventh round selection of the St. Louis Blues. I'm going to enjoy a 20-year career in the National Hockey League, win a Stanley Cup in Calgary, represent Canada three times internationally, play in the 87 Canada Cup team. But despite those great accomplishments, it would be more known for time as a Maple Leaf. And of course, I'm referring to Dougie Gilmore. Doug, how are we doing? Good, guys. How are you? How are you coping with the pandemic? I see you got the code on. You're making deliveries today. I was making deliveries today up in Niagara Falls right now. Um, Ricky, you know where it is, just off of McLeod and Kalar. And so I'm yeah. seeing my daughter, my uh, uh, son-in-law, and my granddaughter. So um, just helping them with the lawn work. That's great. <laughs> I'm not allowed to touch the lawn. I, I cut it one time, and my wife, Joyce, said, what did you do? And I said, what do you mean? I just cut the grass. She goes, it looks terrible. There's the patterns all wrong and everything. And I, she said, you're never going to do it again. And I said, oh, I said, okay. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Ricky, what's funny about that, my next door neighbor, he's uh, 70 plus and um, his lawn is immaculate. He's got the heated driveway. So he, you know, it, it's all set up properly. And so I got to know him and you know what, every day it's uh, when the summertime comes, he goes, okay, we got to do something about, about your grass here. We got to do this. We got to do this. <laughs> so I've, uh, I've learned a lot from him and uh, you know what, it's, it's nice because it's time consuming. Uh, get out of the house when the weather changes yeah. here and uh, you know, besides uh, golf and these zoom calls and different things, but uh, I, I enjoy doing it. Well, we got one for you because uh, you, Squid and I love, Dougie, Squid and I love the nicknames. You got a dandy and killer. Now, we had one of your ex-teammates on last week in the name of Brian Sutter, and he claims he gave you a different handle to begin with, but you weren't too, <laughs> you weren't too fond of it, understandably. Uh, how about giving us your version of how that all unfolded and you got the name? <laughs> well, Brian, my, Brian was my roommate for five years and probably the most uh, intimidating person I have ever had to kind of live with on the road. He was intense. The good thing is he taught me how to, you know what, we all, as players, we say, don't bring the game home, but we did. And um, Brian, he, uh, he taught me a lot in how to prepare for a game, um, you know, just to play intense and stuff. So I was 150 pounds um, and I had a mullet and I looked like Charlie Manson. So he called me Charlie and that's, and it finally changed as time went on to, to kill ourselves. So, yeah, it wasn't, uh, wasn't he, the best, he, uh, best story on that side, but 
No, I, I, I always thank Brian. Um, again, just, uh, you know, Ricky, you played against him pound for pound, one of the toughest guys mm -hmm. to play. He was mean. He was scary. And, you know, some nights we'd go have a couple of beers and then he got punchy and he'd punch me and, and it almost like broke my arm. And I wanted to cry, but I couldn't cry in front of him. It was just, again, he's just a solid guy. And uh, uh, again, he taught me so much. Yeah, he, uh, I played against him all through my career. And I, everybody asked me, I, I don't know how many times I've been asked, who's the toughest guy you ever played against? And I always say Brian Sutter, because I knew that when I was going to be playing St. Louis, it was going to be a war between him and I. We never had a fight. But it was hack, whack, hold, chop, hook, you name it. And uh, and he was very physical. So I knew that I was going to be exhausted at the end of the game. And uh, then we became roommates when we tried out for the Canada Cup in uh, 84, I believe it was, or 83. And uh, we became pretty good buddies. And uh, But in your situation, you go to St. Louis, you were unbelievable in junior with points and, and goals and everything, but yet they put you in a defensive role. So was that basically to learn how to play the game in your end as well as the offensive zone? Well, you know, when Jacques Demers came in that year, guys, um, that was, a uh, you know, I came out of junior with a lot of points and uh, I didn't have a contract. So finally the, uh, Ralph and Perina sold it to Harry Ornest and they hired Ron Caron and then they hired Jacques Demers. And I was actually in Dusseldorf practicing. I was going to play over there because I didn't have a contract. And so they brought me back and, um, well, I called my agent, Larry Kelly, that I had for 20 years. And I said, listen, they want me to sign. He goes, okay, tell them that you got to go back to the hotel and call your agent. And we'll talk about this. He, he, <laughs> I got back to the hotel. He goes, pack up, get out, get on a plane now. So I, I did, I left my equipment there, everything. And so I got on a plane, I got home and then um, I signed the contract and went to St. Louis and met Jacques Demers and Jacques says, well, we got uh, Bernie Federico, Blake Dunlop, uh, Guiche Renard, Larry Patey and L.A. Lemieux. Um, so, oh, and Mike Zook was still there. And he goes, I want a young guy here and I want you to check can you check? And I'm like, well, yeah, can I check? Well, what do you want to play in the minors or you want to play pro? I said, yeah, I'll do whatever it takes. So, and you know, I, another guy I learned a lot from was Pat Hickey. My first year, Pat was a good, uh, we killed penalties together. He taught me a lot, uh, face-offs to be in position and killing penalties. So yeah, I got the opportunity, Ricky. And, you know, I had a, my contract was, uh, 23 in the minors, 65 pro. And, after 50 games or 40 games, it was a one-way contract. So I couldn't wait to get to those 40 games. And then try <laughs> to go a little offensive. The, uh, what I was going to say, I want to go back uh, to your junior, junior days. And, uh, you know, you always kind of had that, even go back to your minor days, that, that, that size thing always came up and worked against you. In your first year, you, you get passed over in your draft year. You win the Memorial Cup. You have a great tournament. You score the winner in the final. Just take us through those couple of years. And then the next year you had a big year. And your final year you had a real big year. Just take us through all the years playing with some of the players you played with and just maybe the frustrations you're going through not getting taken until you finally did. Well, to start with, uh, Cornwall won the Memorial Cup the year before. 
So you got Dale Howard, Chuck, Scott O'Neill, Fred Arthur, Fred Boimstruck, uh, Mark Crawford, um, Dan Frawley. The list kind of goes on. And so when they won the World Cup, you go, uh, the World Juniors are on and you go as a team. And we picked up Denny Sear, um, uh, Corrado Mikulev, the goalie, um, uh, Gilbert, de, or not, uh, yeah, defenseman from, he was drafted by Montreal anyways. And so long story short, uh, that's the last time a team went over as the World Juniors because we had <laughs> 10 teams, we were 10th. And <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you're talking about all-star quality and not, it was, it's just, that's how they did it back then. So, um, yeah, I got passed up my first year and won the World Cup. And then uh, Howard Chuck got drafted first overall. And then Scotty O'Neill went second round. So he was gone half the year and from third line center to almost, well, go to first line. So it, uh, it was a nice change and I had a pretty good year. And uh, I know some teams were talking to my agent and said, oh, we're looking at you in the third, second, third, fourth round. And so I was playing in a ball hockey tournament and uh, twisted my knee. So the day before the draft and like we weren't at the draft. There's no yeah. point going out to draft. And so I actually uh, tore my cartilage. And so I went back to Kingston. I was on the train and I got off the train. My mom's there to pick me up. And I said, did I get drafted anywhere? And she goes, yeah, you went seventh round to St. Louis. And believe it or not, the guy that uh, lived, we lived out in the country and at the top of the road, it was uh, Rick Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, yeah. uh, so Ricky uh, kind of took care of me when I got there. I lived with him for a first little bit. And so, but at the same time, there was guys that were picked on my team way before me. And, you know, you go through the summer, Rick, you know how it is. It's like, you got a chip on your shoulder. You want to prove everybody wrong. And so go into, I think it was my second game. We're playing against Kitchener and I dropped the gloves with Mike Eagle. So I'm a lefty. I didn't know he was a lefty and he, he broke my he broke my nose and cheekbone. So I went back to Kingston after the game, had my nose fixed. And then, uh, you know, we had four days off before the next game. So I didn't miss a game, but wore a uh, face mask for a little bit. And my brother was in the car and my brother, David played with the London Knights with Daryl Sittler and Dan Maloney back in the days. And he said, Doug, just play your game and get, you don't need to be doing this stuff. And so at, at that time, came back and really focused on my game and it started to come around and and uh i guess rest is history yeah it's great it's funny it's funny how you said uh back then you went you go through the summer and wanting to prove yourself and everything where like i was in the i was in the complete opposite because i was picked fifth overall i had to prove to them that they were right <laughs> that they made the right <laughs> the right pick <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that didn't go so well in Vancouver with Harry Neal uh, until the trade to Toronto, which uh, was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, really. Well, it's not too often you see a seventh-round pick uh, not play too many games in the minors mm-hmm. or make a team right off the bat. So your motivation must have been at an all-time high, Doug, I'm telling you, to get yourself to make that hockey club. Well, you know was- what? Yeah, go. Yeah, there's so many older players on that team, and like, I, I started off with uh, – uh, Wayne Babich on my right wing and yeah. Wayne was tough as nails and could score some goals. Um, then I had uh, a Swedish guy named Jorgen Pedersen 
And Jorgen, he scored 40 goals a couple times. And uh, the big Swede, we call him. But, he, you know, Ricky, when we used to get our sticks, right? And I used to use coho sticks. And then I finally said I want Titans because nobody would want to use my Titans. They're too heavy. And Ricky used the same stick. And But Jorgen used to say all the time, Doug, feed me. I'll be behind the slot. And he, he would say that because you'd never go in the corners. <laughs> but every game, <laughs> Doug, I feel good. I'm behind the slots. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, you know, I get the just, the, just the, the players that you play with and you learn from, especially when you're younger, it really transitions mm-hmm. you into a better player. Because, Ricky, you know, you're taking people's jobs too. And, you know, they're friends and everything else. But at the same time, it's part of the game. And you got to take the right advice from the right people. And it was quite a bit different too, uh, Doug, when you think about, like, I mean, I, I would guess on average, probably only four or five guys on every team were on one-way contracts. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody else was like on two ways. And, and I mean, you had to earn your spot and keep it. Otherwise, you're going down to the minors and going from, you know, 60, 80,000 to 20 some thousand. And big, big and difference. And at the same time, they had recallable waivers. So, yeah, yeah. if somebody tried to pick you up, uh, they'd just reclaim you. Yeah. So, your first year through the league, how was that? You know, you make the team, you're in the National Hockey League. Was it a bit of a blur, Dougie, going through, or did you actually have time to step back and just take it all in? And especially playing at the Gardens for the first time as an NHL, you played there as a junior, of course, but players have told us even playing the Gardens, even the warm-up, just, they're just mesmerized by the electricity going on in the building they never experienced before. Yeah, 100%. I'll, I'll tell my first story. Like, we go into Philadelphia my first time, and I'm like, okay. And there's a guy standing just inside the, the red line and he's staring at me. And, you know, I, he's an older guy on the team. And Brian Sutter comes up to me and goes, what are you doing? I said, well, that guy's looking at me. He goes, get over here. And he was Randy Holt. And, and I was like, he goes, do not look at him. Do not go near him. So, uh, again, just the learning curves going in. But going into Maple Leaf Gardens was very cool. Um, as a junior, we'd go in and play on a Saturday. You play at two o'clock, but you get there early enough to watch visiting team practice and at least practice a bit. So, yeah, that was something uh, really, really, uh, as a junior kid, cool to to go in. And then your first game in there, yeah, it's it's nerve wracking and it it's so like everybody knows if you when when I play with the Leafs and here comes another guy from Ontario coming in that we're playing against today and his family's there they're going to try to put up big numbers tonight. And so it's always, it's always a, an issue because people are ready to play against you. And, and I found that out real quick. Now, did you learn from some of those, like the blues? I know Brian touched on the guys like Gary Unger, the Plaguers, Emil Francis, Red Berenson, and so on. All these guys that are around the team or, or still around. Did you take all those guys in and learn from those guys? I mean, you're, you and Rick are in similar roles today, almost with the Leafs. Yeah, you, you know, it, it was um, like Bernie Federico as a centerman, you know, it really helped out. Guy Renard was great. Um, it just, uh, you, you learn from everybody. And we had Rob Ramage, mm-hmm. you, you know, just um, there's so many guys that um, help you along the way. And uh, 
you know, you don't, every individual doesn't succeed without their teammates. Yeah, fantastic. And um, besides the speed of the game, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make from junior or was that it? Uh, the speed was different, yes. Um, but I think just learning the league and kind of who to stay away from, it, uh, <laughs> it, it was a different game. And again, if you did something wrong, it's a five on five where it's a bench clear and brawl and you don't want to put your teammates in that situation. So it's just, uh, you know, you, you talk about going into a game and I, I think people lie in, in our days anyways, if you're, were you scared to go play? Of course you are. And at the same time, you, you're mentally that much better though. You're focused. You're going to do the right things. Sometimes if you're, if you not prepare for a game, you go in, you do something stupid and all of a sudden a brawl breaks out. And, uh, again, it's just different times and it's uh, some nights where it, it was a war. Squid? Well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, you do learn as you go on. And I, I learned very quickly. It was early in my, my first year. We were playing Boston. And I, I don't know what happened. We, Stan Jonathan and I went into the boards together. For some reason, we came off the boards and the gloves were off. I grabbed them and I hit him square in the nose with three of the hardest punches I could throw. And then he just went, <laughs> and then I went, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I grabbed on for dear life. He hit me with an uppercut, kind of staggered me a little bit, and then threw me down. And he, he looked at me and he said, don't do that again, kid. And I said, I won't. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so you learn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And you, you know, I never went near him again the rest of my career. <laughs> no, exactly. And again, you know what? I think the, the compete level and when you have not toughest fighting, but you, you gave back and you, you punch back mm -hmm. and you, you show up because there's nothing better going into a game. And I'm going to use Bernie Nichols, for example, always want to chit chat with you. Right. And, the next thing you know, you put your head down, he's going to run you over. And so the people that usually said hi to me are the people that's like, okay, I got them tonight. <laughs> so you just know, and, and you're sitting there. It's like, oh, this guy wants to be friendly. Well, I guess he uh, doesn't want to play the game the right way tonight. So go after him. Yes. <laughs> Well, you guys are moving along, and then all of a sudden, the summer of 1988, you move, the Blues move you to their favorite trading partner, the Calgary Flames. Yeah. Were you aware that that was, they were trying to move you, and then how, was, how did it all work out when you ended up getting traded? Like, that, walk us through that whole day. Well, yeah, you know what, it's, uh, we had, the year before, Rob Ramage and uh, Rick Walmsley went for Brett Hull. Yeah. And Joey Mullen was already there, and you know what? We traded Joey because uh, they didn't want to pay him 200000 And it's just uh, the times have changed so much. And so when, when I got traded, it was Mark Hunter and I for Craig Cox and Mike Bullard. And, uh, you know, uh, Calgary had a pretty good year, or a couple of years anyways, and just couldn't get past Edmonton. Well, when you know it, same thing, Edmonton uh, makes a deal with L.A. So my time coming in, it wasn't quite the same playing against Gretzen in Edmonton. Now we're playing against them in LA. So boy, we had a good hockey club. Um, you know, our, our back end with 
you know, Jamie McCallum, Al McGinnis, Gary Suter, or uh, Brad McCrimmon, uh, Dean and Merzen, it, you know what? And then our lineup was pretty special up top too. And then our fourth line guy that came in halfway through the year was uh, a young kid named Theo Fleury. So it's, uh, we, we could have had a pretty good dynasty. I, I'm not going to say dynasty, but a couple, probably three or four good years at a chance to win a cup. We had Gary Roberts, Neuendijk. After Hawk and Lube left, we had Sergey Makarov. And it, again, the lineup was phenomenal. Well, I can tell you that Frank Sutter told us that when he, he phoned the Blues, they called him and uh, they said they'd traded you. He pulled the phone out of the wall at the airport. And he said yeah. the airport guys weren't too happy. They came after him for the money. But he was quite upset because you guys had so much on the go there. And you just touched on it by not paying. And now you go to Calgary. You see the club you have there. You look back. Do you realize, do you think, do you think to yourself, maybe in your later years, that what could have been in St. Lucie, they had actually run the team properly and paid the guys the right way? Yeah, that's, again, hindsight, everything yeah, right. but. It's uh, yeah, I, you know what, Brett Hall just came in, but you know what, when you, when you lose certain guys that, um, that, you know, you're just like Ricky, like Joey Mullen was a 40, 50 goal scorer and they trade him. And I think we got uh, Eddie beers and somebody, somebody else. And it's like, well, Eddie's a good player, but he's going to get you 10. So that changes your team a lot and puts a little bit more pressure on, guys that just don't have that scoring touch that is kind of natural to these guys so um yeah it was uh, uh ron Caron was quite a man too he was very intense and uh, i remember we had a christmas party we're on the ice and the families are skating and ron's out there playing against you know four-year-olds ten-year-olds five-year-olds kind of knocking them down and stuff and, and he I, I come over and say, Ron, you know, they're kids, right? He goes, yeah, but you know what? I play a lot like Brian Sutter does. And <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> that's good to know. But uh, he was a very, very intense man, a very smart man. Uh, he knew all the sports wow. in general and stats. And uh, I'll never forget talking about Jorgen Pedersen again. We're in Detroit and uh, Jorgen made a bad play or something. And every time he steps on the ice, there's like a pen beside him. Ron Caron's throwing pens at him from the penalty box. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. Well, it's so, funny, funny you mentioned that because I've heard from so many people that at the old uh, Checker Dome or whatever it was called, the I guess it was a Checker Dome back then. Yeah, then and, went to the uh, Like the box that he was in, he would be throwing chairs against the wall during the game and, and going crazy and everything. People like our guys that would be in the next box would be going, what the hell is going on over there? And, and you mentioned too, about the guys that, you know, you said traded, like, I mean, you think of the guys that Calgary took from St. Louis, they were all character individuals as well, like Mark Hunter and Rammer and yourself. And, you know, I mean, there was a lot of character that St. Louis gave up too. Guys that played the game the way that it should be played. No, we forgot Nat too, right? Rick Nat. Yeah, Nat. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it, it was uh, again, Ricky. You know, it's you. You don't know when, but sometimes they come up with different ideas and they want to go a different direction. So um, whether it's to save money or not, but it's uh, it's just the way it is. 
So you had a really strong club in uh, Calgary and you go to, you know, you're playing in the Chuck Norris division and then all of a sudden you end up in playing in the, the, the Battle of Alberta and Gretzky in LA, but it got taken. You had a little run in with Ton Webster one night that, uh, that took it to another extreme. Like what, what the hell happened in that situation? Um, we were kind of chirping at each other. Usually coaches don't chirp at players, but he, he, he did. So I was trying to kind of get close to him so he, he would hit me. And uh, I end up getting suspended too, though. That was the problem. He got two games, and I think I got one game. <laughs> so, but, you know, Tommy, God bless his soul. He was a good man. And, again, the, the emotions are different, guys. When you're on the ice, you, you know, it's like sometimes things happen. And um, it, it was just, uh, you know, trying to, trying to win, I guess I'm going to say. It's like he chirps at me. I'm chirping back at him, try to get close to him, see if he throws a punch, and then we get a power play. Well, you, 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 it's funny, you, men it's funny you mentioned that, though, Dougie, because I, I, know, I remember playing and I remember hating the fact that coaches would chirp at players because they weren't able yep. to go out on the ice and, you know, you, you weren't able to go out and play against them. So when I got into coaching after I finished playing, that was the first thing I thought of was, OK, I'm never going to say a word to a player. Or another, and I never did. You know, but I felt, you know what? If I'm not going to go out there and this guy can hit me or whatever, then I'm not going to say anything because it, you know it's, it's it's not fair. It's not I, uh, I, it's not the right I thing agree. to do. I, I did the same thing, Ricky. I was never going to yell at another yeah. player, and I, I only said one no. thing to one player one time, and he, he kind of skated by our bench a little uh, cocky, I guess I could say, uh, to tie the game up. And I think it was my I don't know maybe tenth game, and. It was just like he skated by our bench, and I said, you know what? Don't do that in the next level, son. And that's all I said. <laughs> and so, again, you don't want to get home, but you, you do that at the next level. I just that's all I said. But if you did do it at the next level, you know what? Your face is going to be punched in. So you win a cup, uh, and everybody always talks about the elation of winning a cup. But it's one thing to watch it and to see the guys celebrate – but it's another thing to experience. And the only players who have experienced it, sorry, Squid, can actually. Yeah, I know. That. I know. It comes up every every goddamn week. It comes up <laughs> <laughs> with guys that won cups, and I never won one. <laughs> but just really, only players can have that feeling. What for you was it? Everything and above, or how was that whole thing going through that whole experience with Calgary? Well, you know what? We won the President's Trophy that year with 116 points. Montreal had 115. So we knew it was going to be a tight series. And that uh, that playoff run against Vancouver, they took us seven games in overtime. And we beat uh, Gretz four straight after that, Chicago in five, and then Montreal in six. And I can honestly admit it was such a beautiful feeling, but I was exhausted. Um, the one thing I, I did not carry the cup around on the ice. Um, I felt personally, I thought I was so weak, I might drop it. So <laughs> I, I, I grabbed it when it was in the dressing room after, and obviously I had a picture on the ice with it, but I, I didn't carry it around. Uh, do I read it? No, I don't regret it. I, we still won the cup and I, I was just exhausted. And I was one of the newer players there and everybody else had their time before me. So it was uh, quite a moment though. So you go from that, Cliff Fletcher gets- I can only dream. I can only dream about it. And you'll, yeah, be, you'll, a... you'll continue to dream, Squid. You'll continue to dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, Cliff Fletcher gets hired to run the Maple Leafs, and things start to go a little sour on the contract side. You run into a dispute with Doug Drysborough. You know what's coming up next. You guys are butting heads. Now, it was told us uh, on, by Gary Lehman, actually, on his version of the story, is that Cliff had actually promised you guys all contracts. He renew your contracts before he left Calgary. He ends up in Toronto and ends up bringing most of you guys to Toronto with him. I don't really know that story, but... Yeah. I had, Maybe to, a coincidence, but. I had to go to arbitration with uh, Rise Brown. That's correct. And again, Doug, Doug and I, as he was an assistant coach and then assistant GM, and, um, but when we won the cup, like, Doug really never said too much to me all year. We didn't like each other on the ice. So I guess he kind of carried over as uh, in the dressing room and stuff. Like, I'd walk by in the morning with a coffee, hey, coach, and he wouldn't even say hi. So it's like, okay, that's nice. So we're getting prepared for arbitration. And back in those days, you could have affidavits from uh, other players in the league. Mm -hmm. And we did that. My uh, agent's and a lawyer by trade. So he had 200 pages stapled together in a binder. And uh, Doug Reisbrow went in uh, with three, paper, three pieces of paper stapled together. And so my, uh, my agent got up. And stood up and read every page and affidavits from Gretzky, Messier, all these different players, why I should make this amount of money. And so, you know what, that uh, we're playing the game and the next day is arbitration. And I look up in the box and there's the arbitrator sitting with Risebrow. And I'm like, okay, this is not going to go well. So at the end of the day, um, we feel we won. And I was awarded a pretty good contract and, and then there was just a hate on for me after that. So um, I, I was, we were playing in uh, San Francisco, playing at the Cow Palace and uh, before the rink was built in San Jose and got up at around seven o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom and joining room to me, I could hear my name and somebody's on the phone, probably back out East and, Oh, I'm going to trade Gilmore. I don't care. And, so now I'm laying down on the floor listening to the next door neighbor and my roommate was a kid named Tim Sweeney, Sweeney and he, he's looking at me going, what are you doing? I said, come over here. Your name's involved too. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then I knew I was getting traded. So, but uh, I've lived in Calgary, uh, Team Canada uh, practice in Calgary. Mm -hmm. So I said to my agent, I said, December 31st can be my last game. Uh, we have a team party afterwards. I'm going to tell the teammates that I'm gone. I'm going to go play, walk away from my contract, go play with Team Canada until I get traded. So pretty much we won the game, uh, had a party, told my teammates, and they were all disappointed. And Next morning I went in around 7 o'clock in the morning, saw a rise brow. He goes, if you walk today, you're being traded. I said, well, I'm gone. See ya. And uh, 24 hours later, it was a 10-player deal. So, great. Yeah. So I, again, I knew I was, I was going, I just didn't, uh, I, I said, I can't sit here and play for this team when this guy doesn't respect me and everything else. I said, I'm going to put it up, put it in my hands. And again, I had it set up where I was going to go skate with team Canada and, and practice as much as I could in Calgary, but I was traded 24 hours later. Uh, it's kind of funny, all the things you're bringing up, Doug, because the league, that's just the way the league was back then. And I remember I went to Chicago. I was making, I think, 300 at the time. 
and had a 43 goal season. And Bob Polford, he offered me 260, 260, 265 on a three year deal, a $40,000 pay cut. So we had an arbitration date set and everything in September. And uh, he, he told my agent, he said, you know what's going to happen if you go to arbitration? And he said, yeah, you're going to trade him. And uh, he said, yeah, I will. And uh, two days before the arbitration date, he gives me three and a quarter, three and a quarter, 350. And I go, why the hell did he wait all summer to do that? You know, but, yeah. but that's the way the league, with the, the, the owners and the GMs controlled the whole goddamn league back then. I mean, they had eagles in their pocket. And yep. they, they did whatever the hell they wanted to. No, exactly. So now you um you end up in Toronto. Uh, you're close to home. But after short stint there, I mean, you, you joined the team. You, you scored right away. Looks like you started to fit in. They rewarded you with a new contract, I believe, right off the bat. You're playing for Pat Burns. You got Cliff Fletcher back. All of a sudden, as things start to go a little bit better for you, you knew how highly regarded the team was held in around the city coming from Kingston. But now that you're a part of it, was this way more than you ever imagined it'd be playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs at that time? Not at all. Like, listen, Calgary was, you know, yep. it was a big media town too. And uh, especially when you lose to Edmonton. Um, but it uh, it's something that, you know, when I got traded there, you look at what was there when I came into it. Um, you know, we had a pretty good little run where I think we were only missed the playoffs by four points at the time. And it's, uh, you know, we need pieces and obviously started with Cliff getting, you know, some older players, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, have been through this, you know, playoffs and everything else. And I, I think it was just a really good bonding time with, to get to know who you're going to play with. And, you know, when we trade Grant Fuhrer, to Buffalo for Darren Poopa and Dave Anderchuk. Well, now I got a guy like Ricky that can score 50 goals, just like that. Um, you know, it, things just really came into place. And, um, you know, our defense with Bob Rouse and um, Sylvain Lefebvre and Dave Ellett, Giller, uh, McCown, again, it was Miranov. There's some pretty good pieces yeah. there, guys, guys that could win. And, yeah. and, um, then you, you bring in Cruiser and then Mike Foligno. Um, the, the list kind of goes on. And, and it's just, it was a good fit for everybody. And I think the biggest thing is, too, with the direction of that time, they needed a change with uh, coaching. When Pat came in, I, I know the one thing he said to me. And, uh, you know, we met uh, previous to camp. And he was, I, I'm going to tell you once, and, once only, you better be the hardest working guy in practice. I said, I know you can't do it every game or practice, but every day, but you know what? You do this, everybody else is going to follow you and put your work ethic in, show it what it's done. And we all did it and we all accepted our roles. And that was the biggest key to that. Like, you know, you had Berge, Osborne, Peter Zezel, you know, that we're going to run, like just run guys all night and just piss them off. And then you had, you know, toughness, like bomber, was there and um again like like Rouser Felino then we got our captain you know I mean like Wendell was just a cornerstone of just learning to get better and better nobody wanted to fight Wendell 
You know what I mean? Like he had so much, he had, he had so much skill. Like I'll never forget. I thought 87 Canada cup training camp. There was Howard Chuck, Kirk Muller, Wendell and I sat beside each other. And every day we'd take the screws out of Wendell's helmet, make it smaller. So we'd skating around and warm up and then we're going to do a little exhibition game. And he tried to get his helmet on. He goes, Jesus Christ, my head's growing. And every day. So he, Wendell got, uh, Wendell got cut and I grabbed his uh, Toronto pants and I signed them to Wendell best wishes, Claude Lemieux. So <laughs> Wendell, Wendell knew it was either Howard Chuck Muller or I, and nobody would give in. So I finally told him when I got to Toronto, when I wasn't scared anymore. So, <laughs> but, but uh, no, it just, everything kind of fell into place. Uh, Felix Podvin, you know what, uh, gaining the reins as a MVP in the American League and now coming to our team. And it just, it was such a fun ride for two years that uh, um, I'll, I'll never forget. Because uh, I know Bernsey won the cup in uh, Jersey, but he said to me when we had a little reunion uh, not far before he passed on, he said, this is my favorite team by far. So, Well, let me ask you this. All those years, you play, you're you one of those guys that kind of flew under the radar in St. Louis and maybe to a certain degree in Calgary, playing under guys like Sutter, Federico, Laney, Neuendijk. But maybe almost underappreciated, but I remember one time, recall, you getting five assists in a playoff game in St. Louis, and it was on Hawking and Ken, they were going to flip them back and forth all the games. And it was almost like, geez, this Gilmore guy in St. Louis, boy, he's actually not a bad player. Who is this guy, you know? And all of a sudden now you're in Toronto, and you become that guy. Now, did you, and you, and you just touched on it. Burns pulled you aside and said, be the hardest working guy. So now that you got that role, that must have been a real motivation for you to play even better. And your play showed it. Yeah, listen, we weren't, we weren't going to be the number one but team. You know what, Hold it, Doug, before you, before you start, he was a pain in the ass to play against. I can tell you that. Like, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but he, was, he could piss you off so easy. And, and get you into the box, and then they go on the power play. And yeah, so I, it was just Ricky. I, I call it, <laughs> I call it, uh, I guess, kind of my kind of competing, because I knew how to get a guy in the calves. So, you know, I I had to do sneaky things. I was an idiot, I know, but it, it's something that uh, that's what we we had to go through uh, to survive. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't go out and play as a a soft player. I want to go out and you hit me, I'm coming right back at you. Now, how big a role did Pat Burns play in the success of that team through those years? Well, very big. And, and you know, kind of Pat was notorious for, you know, running a team for two, three years and then yeah. moving on. And, um, yeah. you know, what? he just had different ways about it. Uh, he, he was a, how do you say it? He, he was a friend, but he was almost like a father figure and almost like a cop mm -hmm. so he's going to intimidate you he's going to scare you but then he's going to bring you back to reality so um again he knew he just knew how to push the buttons so the team just misses goes along for a couple of years not getting any better and then that day comes where you get moved that must have been a pretty tough day for you to go to new jersey and of course cliff fletcher brought you in and moved you that must have been kind of a shaky <clears throat> time no not at all we nope. uh we were on a road trip. We were playing in Vancouver. A lot of media saying, uh, trade me and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And 
Um, you know, it, it's Cliff called me up to his uh, room. He goes, well, I'm probably going to get fired here this year. And I, I don't want to trade. you." And at that time um, I said, well, Cliff, you know what? If it salvage your job, but at the same time, if, if the management doesn't want me, and it, it was it was Stavros didn't want to renew my deal and stuff, and um, I was like, move me. I said, I've, I've done it many times, and it's uh, again, if I'm not wanted here and people don't appreciate, it, and I know I had a my daughter probably was but ten years all the time, and and now I'm or maybe twelve and. She goes, dad, what's going on in the papers? Uh, people at school are saying that your dad's no good anymore. They're going to move him. I said, no, no. Why don't you tell them that there's other teams that want my dad more than Toronto Maple Leafs. So I got traded to Jersey and um, Cliff, Cliff told me three teams and I'm going to put them in my order at the time, Florida, yeah. uh, Philly, and then <laughs> Jersey. So, well, I got traded to Jersey. So it's, uh, you know what? And then at the same time, uh, another general manager that I got to know and I had to go through arbitration with Lou as well, but it, what a good man. Like there's one man that, uh, besides Cliff as a GM that, um, really kind of inspiration to me is, uh, is Lou. And I know Lou has some rules and that are a little different than other, um, people, but Lou treated us with a lot of respect, uh, especially older guys. Uh, he offered me a good contract to stay before I became a free agent and went to Chicago. But that's another story. But it it's something that uh, I enjoy my time there. It was a good team. Uh, probably the smartest coach I ever had was Jacques Lemaire. Um, amazing. Just we would play 18, 19 minutes a game, um, hardly break a sweat. And it was just like kind of Red Rover. Come on, come on to us. And then you got – you know, my line would change all the time, but I had Billy Guerin on one side, the fly, Brian Rolson on another side. And it's just, it was just a different mentality. And it's like, it took me a week to get my car from Toronto to Jersey. So we're in the Meadowlands. And finally I get my car, I leave the hotel, I stay in the hotel all for three months and um, <clears throat> down to the Meadowlands, which is not a great hotel, but you know, it served the purpose. And, so I get my car, I drive into the rink and uh, the guy says, can I help you? I said, yeah, uh, Gilmore with the Devils uh, just got my car. And he goes, never heard of you park over there. So it was a change. <laughs> it was a real quick change. And until I got my parking pass and I gave the finger to the guy every time. <laughs> you know, I like the fact you brought up uh, Lou with, with those, because uh, there's been a number of people have said to me over the years, that, like, like how stupid are his rules with no facial hair, no long hair and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? I said, I think those rules are great. I said, because... If you're going to adhere to those little things about shaving, you know, every day or every second day and making sure your hair is neat and everything, then you're going to pay attention to all the other little details that you need to to be a good player. I, and I said, I think it's a genius move by him. Well, where do you think he got it from? New York Yankees. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. And when, uh, when I got traded to Jersey, um, probably a month later, my dad came up and came to the practice with me and Dr. McMillan owned the hockey club at the time and his best friend was Yogi Bear. 
So yeah. I came in. My dad was a ball player, not a hockey guy, and I brought him in. My dad could not believe that he got to meet Yogi. But that's the tradition of winning, right? So it, yeah. it carries on, and it's uh, that's his rules, and you got to abide by them. And if you don't like it, well, that's too bad. But um, yeah, so again, I, I have utmost respect for Lou and, and what he does, and look what he's done already with the Islanders at this point in time. Yeah, that's for sure. You move on to yeah, um, you move on to the Hawks. How moved are you taking taking the final face off as a Hawk at the Gardens for the final game there? And how'd that all get set up for you? Well, um, Kelly also was our captain, and uh, he says you're taking the face off. And you know, I, it's such a like I love Chicago, love the Blackhawks, love the city, the whole works. But it was just a, a point of time when I got a phone call when I was a free agent. Um, it was uh, July 2nd and uh, Bill Wirtz and uh, Bob Pulford were on the phone and said, we want you to sign tomorrow. We want you to agree tonight. Uh, Brett Hull's coming here. He's going to wear his dad's number. So pretty much I agreed and they're going to make the team better. Uh, two days later, Brett Hull signs with uh, Dallas. So <laughs> you think things aren't going sideways from that point on? I know, I, I know one fact. We didn't win a lot of games that year, but we, I don't think we lost one fight. So, you know, and then they trade Kelly on that. But, no, Kelly uh, said, hey, this is all yours. And uh, it was such a great time. And, um, you know, I got to score the game winner as well. And it's something that, uh, yeah, I'll never forget. And it, it was always, you know, especially the last game. And uh, it, it was an honor to play in that building and, and uh, so much respect. Now, playing in Montreal, we've had a number of players come on the show here and tell us that the organization is just uh, beyond first class, the way they handle everything, the way they pay players, the way they do things, for everything from equipment to travel. Uh, it's just that you played uh, in a couple of good hockey markets. Did you find it like that, too, when you played there? Yeah, you know what? Obviously, you know, three original six teams now, which was yeah. pretty cool. Um, again, I didn't know if I was going to go back and play or not after Buffalo and 9-11 happened and Saku Koivu got, got sick and Montreal called. And I know Otto, I was speaking with Ottawa at the time too, which is a pretty good team at that time. And, but I went to Montreal and I, I utmost respect for everybody there. Um, the media was great because I didn't speak French. Um, but George Gillette was awesome at that time that when I was there, Andre Savard and, uh, I get nothing but uh, praises and it was uh, pretty cool to, you know, wear the uniform. I know I, I hated them when I played against them, but uh, when you're there, uh, the city was phenomenal and uh, like really, really good people. It's great. We're coming down to the last couple of minutes here. We're going to go and keep a couple more there, Dougie, but uh, what else you got for Mayor Squid? Well, I know you always ask, uh, who's the biggest prankster you ever played with? So you don't need to ask him because he would be the one that would be the biggest prank prankster on the team. Or his name comes up a lot. Okay, so <laughs> I think I think that one of the worst ones I did was in Calgary. Gary Roberts and I were neighbors, and we'd go to our friend's house. And uh, Brian Carlin, his name was, uh, he was called the Running Rabbit when he played in the WHA and stuff. And so he's a realtor up there. Um, Christmas Eve, we'd go to his backyard. He had a big fire pit, you know, 
snowsuits on and have some cocktails and just kind of enjoy our, our little break. And so uh, Brian was outside getting the fire ready and the wives were all out there. And I said to Gary, come on with me. So we went into the pantry and took every label off the cans. And so right before Christmas, <laughs> Christmas Eve, so they're trying to figure out what's gravy, what's peas. What's <laughs> so there's so many good ones that I'll, I'll never forget. And, um, you know what? We were on the road so much, like we didn't charter. Yeah. So we had to come up with some. We're sitting in the airport and, you know, I, you're going to get somebody back and somebody gets you, you're going to figure it out and you're going to try to get somebody back at some point in time. But uh, there's so many times it, it's really, for me, was trying to get the coaches is like at the right time, <laughs> whether it's on the road and knocking on the door uh, with a bucket, Ricky, the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially it's after curfew too. It's even better. But uh I don't know. There, there were so many pranks that we would come up to. And I, I think one of the ones was in Calgary where somebody, uh, tie, uh, buttons on my dress shirt were gone. Um, shoes nailed to the bench. So I figured out who it was. And so the next day I took us, uh, we're at home and took his car keys and put them on the skate machine. So now he goes, start his car up and it won't work. Now he gets it. Now he has to get a towed. That cost him about a hundred bucks. And finally they figure out that it was a key's fault. And so, you know, it's good ways to get some people back at sometimes. Well, we're always told funny, too. One of the one of the funny one of the funniest ones for me with like you talked about the coaches, but it, it was kind of a it didn't happen the way it was supposed to, but Joe Crozier, we're in St. Louis, and he said, we, we won the game that night. He said, okay, everybody go out, you know, have fun tonight because we didn't play for a number of days. He said, but when you come in, don't everybody be slamming your goddamn hotel doors, right? And uh, so anyway, we all went out together and, and came back all together, and everybody, you know, went in the room and then, of course, slammed their doors. And Joe's out in the hallway wondering what the hell's going on. And he's pissed off. And he's got like these pajamas and uh, these slippers. I, I forget. I think they had bunny rabbits on them or something. But anyway, I, I pick up the phone. I'm calling Daryl. And I said, Can you? So I, I make the call. I said, Daryl, did you? I said, Did you see that idiot in the hallway with the pajamas and the bunny slippers and everything? He goes, Rick, and I went, oh shit, it was Joe Crozier. I cut out the wrong number by mistake, hung up. <laughs> so, so it kind of backfired on me. And <laughs> the next day he just came up to me and he said, don't ever do that again. And I said, okay, I won't, don't, don't worry about it, Joe. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. Well, the two guys we were told not to mess with, uh, they were was you and Ty Domi, because like there was just never any off switch. Because if you pranked you guys once, you got it every time. Like it never ended. Yeah, Ty was an easy like, one. Like, to get. Ty, Ty was yeah. an easy one to get. Um, I think the best one with Ty was Kirk Muller. 
So Don, Ty walks in, gets undressed, looks at his stall. His equipment is soaking wet. Just came out of the hot tub uh, right before practice. So he comes around, he asks every one of us, swear on your kids, swear on your kids, swear on your parents. And so the only guy that says, uh, <laughs> the only guy says that, uh, no, I'm not swearing on my kids or my parents is Kirk Muller. So Ty goes up and grabs Kirk's stuff, puts it in a hot tub, hangs it back up. Now we're doing a stretch. Kirk comes out and uh, stretches and Ty's like, ah, look at that, look at that, look at that Muller. And so we're done the stretch. We go to get uh, dressed for the practice. Well, Kirk switched all his stuff with Jamie Baker. So Ty got, Ty got Jamie. So Ty got Jamie Baker, not uh, Kirk, and I started another war. <laughs> it never ends. Never I ends. Can tell you, I, I we want to thank you so much for joining us. I can tell you this, uh, Doug. When we were, when I followed the Leafs for all eighty nine games during the eighteen nineteen season, I was talking to fans, and I'd always ask them about their favorite moment as a Maple Leaf growing up. And I can tell you, between the 35 to 50-year-old genre, the two guys mentioned the most would be you, sorry, Squid, you and uh, Wendell. Well, and the one thing that always came up was the wraparound goal. And the two other thing you're probably most famous for is the Don Cherry kiss. So I'm sure probably a day doesn't buy somebody doesn't mention one of those two to you. Yeah, you know what? Obviously, the wraparound goal is a lot of fun. Uh, Wendell. Like I said, I, I remember playing against in the playoffs in 94. We're playing in Vancouver, and Gino Ojek's all over me every shift. And uh, Wendell says, I got it. Wendell goes, stands beside Pavel Bure and says, Pavel, I'm going to knock you out if Gino touches Gilmore one more time. That, so that's the character that Wendell was. And as far as the, the kiss, well, uh, Graves went to school with my parents and uh, from Kingston, Ontario. Uh, he coached my brother in Rochester. So it's a little history of uh, knowing Graves for a long time and obviously a big bias supporter. Fantastic. Well, Doug, we can't thank you enough. Good luck with the uh, lawn and uh, with, with your further work going ahead. Hey, it's looking good over there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you see those. Squid? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Dougie. I'm gonna come by one day and inspect your lawn, and and you gotta show me how the how the, how you do it to make it really, really nice. Then well, I can do it, and then I can impress my wife. You know what? It's the the humidifier is the stuff the golf courses use, so it goes deep into the soil. Oh, okay. So again, it's it's not um, it's not easy to get, but with my neighbor across the street, he orders bags for about five lawns. So we'll, uh, we'll have enough for a couple of years anyways. Fantastic. Well, great. Thanks again, Dougie. And we'll talk Thanks, to you guys. soon. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Dougie. No problem, man. See you, bud. Well, Squid, we're blessed again. Another great guest, uh, quite a character, really colorful uh, career, lots of accomplishments. Real popular guy, and you can see why. And he was a real popular guy with his teammates, and you can see why with his attitude, the way about way he goes about his business. Oh, absolutely, and and you know, I I've had a lot of fun in the last like whatever five years, roughly or six, where whenever the Leafs go to camp, like Newfoundland, Halifax, uh, Niagara Falls, uh, they always bring a bunch of the alumni, and we play an alumni game and. Yeah. We hang out for the whole like four or five days and do appearances and stuff like that. And just getting to hang out with Dougie and, and all the other guys. Uh, well, he's probably the funniest of all of them. And 
And like I said, he, even on those trips, he will pull pranks with guys. <laughs> I mean, this guy, it just never ends. You just, you gotta be careful because you never know what he's going to do. Uh, but boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of fun. <laughs> well, you can just see it. As we were told, you just don't want to cross him once because he never lets it go. He'll get you every day. And he's got a creative mind, as you can hear. So there were some pretty good ones, and he was a pretty good hockey player to back it up. So, well, that comes to uh, brings us to another closing episode of uh, Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. We want to thank you guys all for joining us. You can reach out to us and uh, let us know what you think. Don't forget about our books, The Ultimate Road Trip and Catch-22, of course. Uh, they're both still available. You can find them at all your favorite outlets. You can find uh, Rick on his new website. All the episodes should be there. Our new website has been updated, The Ultimate Leads Fan. All our episodes are there with lots of new content for you. You can find us on all the podcast networks as well. Guys, we want to thank you for joining us today. I'm going to look forward to speaking to you guys next week. Thanks, Rick.